This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we're going to hop along with Hop Along Cassidy. Uh, a range war develops, and uh, Hoppy and California arrive in time to save a friend from certain death. Hopalong Cassidy, a western that was greater than the Roy Rogers show or Gene Autry's Melody Ranch. Hoppy was a hero to one and all. He and his sidekick California Carlson roamed the Southwest in thrilling stories week after week. And almost every tale had a little mystery in it, and almost every story ended with Hoppy's boisterous laugh. Clarence Mulford, the author of the Hopalong Cassidy stories, created a hard-fisted, rough-and-tough cowboy, nowhere near the like of the lovable Hoppy of the movies and the radio series. He became a hero in black and on a white horse, a superhero of the West. He rescued damsels and cowboys in trouble, along with ranchers and bankers and railroad owners, always against the bad guys, robbers, thieves, rustlers, and the like. The radio series, that was a hard sell, and the owners could find no takers. When this series began, it was offered to the various networks, and they wanted nothing to do with it. So the owners had to sell it to do syndication, but a short time after that, it became extremely successful, and later it was heard on the Mutual and CBS networks. The show ranked number seven in the 1949 Nielsen ratings. The Mutual Broadcasting System began broadcasting a radio version of Hopalong Cassidy in January of 1950, and at the end of September, the show moved to CBS Radio, where it ran well into 1952. Tonight's episode, The Frightened Town. With action and suspense out of the Old West comes the most famous hero of them all, Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd. The ring of the silver spurs heralds the most amazing man ever to ride the prairies of the early West. Hopalong Cassidy. The same Hoppy you cheer in motion pictures. And the same California you've laughed at a million times. Raw courage and quick shooting have built a legend around this famous hero. Hopalong is a name to be feared, respected, and admired. For this great cowboy rides the trails of adventure and excitement. William Boyd as Hopalong Cassidy. And Andy Clyde as California. Well, Hoppy, what about our story? This one we call The Frightened Town. It was a day of heat. It was hotter than oven. In the town of Bledsoe, there was no movement out in the open. Even the door to the saloon hung limply, sagging on its hinges. There was hatred here and violence in the making. Embedded in the brains of men who faced one another from opposite ends of the dusty street. There were dozens of them, rivals in a range war. And on the porch of the hotel, a woman shed tears and spoke <laughs> bitterly to a man who held in his hand a small black bag. <laughs> and I say, you have to think of me. 
I'm a doctor. <laughs> Down the street, there's a man who's been hurt. I'm obliged to go to him. But you'll never get there. You've been told you'll be shot if you step into the street. I'm a doctor. I'm obliged to go. Even though it means making a widow out of me. Saxon might not have meant what he said. <laughs> Saxon always means what he says. He'll shoot you down like a dog the moment you set foot off the porch. Just the same. I... Morning, Doc. Hello, Cassidy. And good morning to you, ma'am. Or maybe I should say good afternoon. I slept so late, I've got no idea what time it is. We rode practically all night to get here. California and I, uh, say, uh, am I interrupting something between you two? No, Cassidy, I have a call to make, that's all. I'm going to make it now. Oh, John, wait. There is something wrong, isn't there? There's something wrong with the whole town. Yes, there's a lot wrong. The town is split apart. Stuart Saxon and his riders are holding one end, and the Lane brothers and their men are holding the other. Now, how did that ever come about? Well, both outfits rode in about two hours ago. That means they finally decided to fight it out. It means more than that. It means my husband is going to lose his life. Just because he insists on going over to Clement's barn. I have to go, Cassidy. Ralph Lane is over there with a bullet in his chest. No reason why you shouldn't go, is there? There's every reason. Stuart Saxon was here when John got the message. He promised John he'd be shot if he set foot in the street. The less we talked <laughs> enough. Ralph Lane could die just because of delay. I'm going right now. Wait a second, Doc. The way Stu Saxon hates the lane, he's likely to carry out that threat if you walk right down the middle of the street. I've got to get to that barn. There's a more sensible way of going about it. You can climb over the side of this porch and slip through Bradshaw's door. Then we'd only have a short dash across the street. You mean you'll go with my husband, Mr. Cassidy? You'll help him? Well, Ralph Lane is sort of a friend of mine. Maybe I'd be helping him a little, too. Come on, Doc. This thing seems a little funny to me, Doc. Those two outfits never seemed to want to show down before. wonder what's done into them all of a sudden. Festering sores have to come to a head sooner or later. Here, Doc, through the sword. Well, if it ain't hop along, Chastity. And he comes sneaking in my side door. Well, they tell me that's the only safe way to go moving around this town right now, Marty. That's right. That sure is right. Well, <clears throat> still lifting those heavy sacks, Marty, huh? I warned you about that. I'm not going to hurt myself, Doc. I lift a pony without hurting myself. Well, what can I do for you, Jen? Nothing right now, Marty. We're just passing through to Clemens' barn. You mean you're going to try crossing that street? That's it. Well, it's your next, I guess. Range wars. Why don't they plant them out in the grass somewhere? Look what it does to me. I get in the first shipment of flour I've had in months. And there ain't been a stall in here to buy any. Everybody's scared. Except them sweat-lathered galoots that think they have to shoot something out. All set, Doc. All set, Cassidy. What's the plan? We'll make a run for it, but not together. I'll go first to that corner by the barber shop. I'll tell you from there. But don't start till I signal. Ought to be one of us sitting in this here barber chair. Don't you think, Mr. Saxon? Make it look uh, natural. Never mind that. Keep watching. Ralph Lane is hurt, and I intend to see that he stays that way. That doctor shows himself. I want him gunned down. Section. What is it? Man, fixing to come across. Cassidy, bar 20. Let him come. I don't care about anybody but that doctor. You men wait for him, 
And then don't miss. Now back to Hopalong Cassidy and our story, The Frightened Town. Hoppy crouches a moment along the side wall of the barber shop, his breath a little hurried from his dash across the street. He looks up and down, is about to lift his arm in a signal to the doctor when a voice reaches out to him from halfway down the alley. Hoppy, what do you think you do? California, where'd you come from? Oh, I've been kicking around, and I know something that maybe you ought to know. Yeah? What's yeah. that? This is a mad dog's town, and you've got no business sashaying across the street like that. I got a job to do, and I'd better be taking care of it. Now hold it, Hoppier. Well, now what? Before you do anything, maybe you ought to know that Stu Saxon's in this here barber shop with three of his gunslingers. California? There are times when a right handy fellow to have around. <laughs> What's your plan now, Hoppy? Well, my hair isn't too long, but I could use a haircut. So I think I'll step inside and see if I can get one. Oh, Hoppy, Hoppy, wait! All right, Cassidy, what do you want? Well, if it isn't Dode Wintram. Who are your friends, Dode? Strangers around here, aren't they? You've heard of them, Cassidy. Jeff Ennis from Mabilene, Kansas, and Rev Maxwell from Texas. Sure, I've heard of them. And I don't figure Stu Saxon hired them to punch cattle. Where is Saxon, by the way? He was here, but he left. Why? Nothing important. Where's the barber? He left, too. The doc? Yeah. I think he's going to make a run for us. We got our orders. What kind of orders, Doge? Stay out of this, Cassidy. I wouldn't want anything to happen to Doc Morgan, now or at any other time. Like I said, we got our orders. I said we're too hot to worry about orders. We're working for Stu Saxon, Cassidy. If you're smart, you'll back out of here while you're still on your feet. I understand, Doge. I got a personal interest in Doc Morgan's welfare. Doc, Dode, he's going to start. Let Ennis take him with his rifle. I'll watch Cassidy. I'm warning you, Dode. Don't try to stop us. Why, you... Watch it, Maxwell. I ain't making a move. Puppy, yeah. I'm all right, California. Yeah, yeah, you're all right, but Wintram ain't so good and that other fellow. What about the Doc? Yeah, he come running across the street and ducked over at Clemens' barn. Why? Uh, was this all about him? They were going to kill him. John! John, where are you? John! He's all right, Mrs. Morgan. Oh, John! They shot him, didn't they? Your husband's all right, Mrs. Morgan. And where is he? He's over at Clemens' barn, ma'am. I've seen him go there. Oh, I want to go to him. I never should have let him come along. But I get so afraid. We can go to him, Mrs. Morgan. I get so afraid. Oh, why can't these men do their fighting away from town? Away from our homes and children. That's a good question, Mrs. Morgan. Maybe we should ask them. Let's go over to Clemens' barn and see what Leif Lane has to say about it. Get that, Chuck. It's the doc's wife and hop along Cassidy. Well, let him in. 
my husband here, Mr. Lane. Is he all right? Uh, he's here, ma'am, and he's all right. Working on my brother. What was that shooting a while ago? Some men tried to kill my husband. Hop along, Cassidy stopped them. And I'll bet he did it permanent. Glad to have you around, Hoppy. Hello, Lave. How's your brother? Better after dark. That's uh, a bad wound, but he's going to be all right. I'm relieved to see you still alive, Cassidy. I heard those shots. What kind of a prey was it, Hoppy? It's all the same to you, Lave. I'd rather talk about something else. Catch his what? You like this town, don't you? Sure I like it. Why? Why didn't you arrange to fight Saxon's outfit somewhere else? Why didn't I? Oh, now hold on, Hoppy. You talk as if I planned this get-together. Tuesday happens to be my regular day to come to town. Do you always bring 20 riders with you? If my men want to come, they come. It's up to them. But if you think I want them to get shot up, you're crazy. Why, Ralph and I need every hand we have to drive beef to Abilene. If we don't make that drive in a few weeks, Ralph and I are going broke. Then leave town right now. Get your outfit out of here. Hey, you know I can't do that, Hoppy. I'd be called yellow from here to Rio Grande. Anyway, I'm, I'm here to buy food. Why, Marty Bradshaw's got a new shipment of flour. It's the first we had in weeks. We need bacon and coffee. Why, my boys have been eating beef eating for breakfast. Would you agree to a truce, Blake? Truce? Sure. I'd agree to a truce if Saxon would. Those don't sound like the makings of a truce to me. Marty Bradshaw, boss. Yeah, yeah, it's Marty Bradshaw. I've got trouble for you, Lake. You can't bring me any more trouble than I already have. That's where you're wrong. It is up to you to decide what's going to happen to this town. What are you talking about? I've got a message for you. Well, I just came into the store with it. Sue Saxon's told about Hopalong Cassidy gunning down two of his men. He says you've got to turn Cassidy over to him inside of an hour. It'll be 45 minutes from now. And if I don't. And Saxon says he's going to set fire to the whole Galdern town. Now, back to Hopalong Cassidy and our story, The Frightened Town. A message has just been delivered to the camp of Leif Lane and his riders. A demand that Hoppy be turned over to Sue Saxon to answer for the shooting of two of Saxon's gunmen. You can't do it, Mr. Lane. It would be downright murder. I have no intention of doing it, Mrs. Morgan. Hop along, Cassidy. Stays right here. Now, wait a minute. Let's talk this over sensibly. How can you be sensible with a mad dog? That's just the point. Sue Saxon is all riled up. You cross him on this, he might do like he says. Set fire to the town. Let him burn it up. I'm not turning you over. But I know what I am going to do. Chuck, get the boys all together in a bunch. I am. Mind tell me your plan, Leif? Well, Saxon said he'd wait an hour. Well, he's going to get something inside of an hour. I'm taking my boys up the street right at him. You'd be wiped out. Just the same. Just the same. Why don't you listen to me? Whether we like it or not, Saxon has to have his way. Now, listen, Hoppy. And he's going to have his way. He's going to see me. I'm not going to be delivered to him. I'm going in under my own power and in my own way. Hoppy, you can't do it. I don't aim to let you do it. Uh, maybe Hoppy's got a plan, Lee. Sure, I got a plan. I want a chance to talk to Stu Saxon. I'm not going to let you do it. Quiet down, you old coyote. 
I do with my own time is my own affair. Right now, I'm paying a visit on Stu Saxon. Who's he staked out, Marty? Emmett Saloon. Fine. I'm thirsty. Give me a chance to get a glass of sarsaparilla. I'm coming with you, huh? Well, let's get going then, California. What is it, California? I uh, don't think you're playing it smart walking along here this way. Why not? Jackson said he wanted to see me, and I'm obliging him. Well, maybe, but uh, I think I saw it. California, I see what you mean. Seems to me that delivering myself into the presence of Sue Saxon isn't going to be as simple as he made it sound. Trying to talk here and I can't hear myself think. Where's Maxwell? I'm right here, Sergeant. There's something about you I can't quite figure out. Yeah? What's that? You let Cassidy plant slugs in both Wintram and Jeff Ennis. You don't do anything about it. Jackson, it's like I told you before. I wasn't wearing a pistol. And I stood three jumps from my shop. You ride into this town for a showdown fight. You go around with nothing but a rifle. I've been saving a sore leg. That's why I've been leaving off my gun belt. I see you got it on now. That's right. And the next time Cassidy and me come together, it'll be different. Why make anything different? Cassidy! Why not keep everything calm and peaceful? I'm wearing a gun, too, Maxwell. I'm wearing two guns. But I won't grab for them if everybody will stay relaxed. How did you get in here? I heard you wanted to see me. So I came up an alley and over a fence. Then I climbed in a window. California? I'm in back of you, huh? That's what I wanted to know. Maxwell? Yeah? You just said that the next time you and Cassidy come together, it'd be different. That's right. That's it. This looks like the time. That's right. It does. And now you're wearing a pistol. That's right. Yeah. We're waiting, Maxwell. All right, Cassidy. Make your play. I came here for talking, not gunfighting. Make your play, Cassidy. Don't be foolish, Maxwell. No need for us to kill one another. All right. If you want to take your chance, I'll take mine. You push a lot of power, Saxon. Not to force a man to go to his death. Weber! Barney! Don't move, any of you. I got guns in my hands, and I'm going to keep them there. You don't think you're going to get out of here alive, do you, Cassidy? I said I came here to talk. 
I still feel the same way. All right. Talk. You had no call to force the lanes into a fight. They haven't been crowding you. Me? Me force them into a fight? You don't know what you're talking about. They set up this showdown. They came into town to get food. That's the only reason. You think so? And read this note I got from Lace Lane. Take a California. Sure, sure, but uh, I, I ain't so good at this. Huh? You do all right. What does it say? Let's see. Uh, Stu Saxon. I dare you to bring your outfit into town for showdown. I'll be there with my boys on Tuesday. Lace Lane. That's right. You'd come to me sealed up as fancy as a valentine. Now, what do you say to that, Cassidy? Well, I can't believe it. Lace Lane said he wanted no part of a fight. Then he's a liar. And there's the proof in black and white. Suppose someone else wrote this letter. Someone who wanted you in the lane if I have a showdown. Why would anyone want to do that? I don't know. I'm going to try to find out. You make a bargain with me? I'm not bargaining with anybody. Let me make a point, Saxon. It'd be all wrong to force a big fight in this town. There's too many women and children here. That can't be helped. It can be helped by calling off the fight. That's impossible. Suppose Leif Lane didn't write this note. Would you be willing to call it off then? What for? Run into some kind of a trick? The Lane's never pulled a trick in their lives and you know it. I'm not making any bargain. All right. Now, Hawker, what's the idea of putting away your guns? I'm putting them away to give Saxon the same break Maxwell was willing to give me. Show off your gun, Saxon. You're, you're crazy. I'm waiting, Saxon. I'll say it again, Saxon. I'm waiting. I don't stand a chance with you. Every man here knows that. Then bargain with me. All right? What's your plan? I'll take this letter to Lace Lane. If he gives his word that he didn't write it, you're to call off the fight. All right? I agree. Two shots from up the street? Yeah, I hear them. I'll give odds that was Hopalong Cassidy getting a dose of lead poisoning. Maybe. Two shots. One for Cassidy and one for his pal. I don't know. We ain't going to take that land down, are we, boss? Cassidy has my promise not to do anything till he gets back. You heard them shots. Cassidy ain't coming back. First it's your brother and now it's Cassidy and his pal. That Saxon hombre is tipping us off one by one just because we stayed holed up in here and don't do nothing about it. Now, now take it easy, oh, We've been taking it easy for almost half a day. You've got us all with you, boss. Let's move in and take that Saxon outfit apart. I promised Cassidy I'd wait for him. You heard them shots. What more do you have to know? Give us the word. That's all I'm asking. Well, let me take a look outside. Come on. If you think you're going to see Cassidy again, you're wrong. Cassidy didn't want the town shut up. Cassidy is dead. Either the town or us. Take a look up that street. You don't see him there, do you? No, I don't see him, but I... Chuck! I'm hit. Curly! Ben! Give me a hand! One hand! Let's get him inside. Come on, swing that door, Curly. 
Where's the doc? I'm right here, Chuck. Put him down on that pile of hay. Hold him. Easy, Ben. Easy. Oh, John, he's badly hurt. One of you men put a fire under some more water. Ask your wife to do that, will you, Doc? Me and the boys, we've got another job on tap. We're going to tie under Saxon and his gang. No. No, that's just what Mr. Cassidy didn't want. Begging your pardon, ma'am. I'm boss now, and I say we fight him. They've hurt Ralph and Lace Lane. They've killed Hopalong Cassidy. Oh, I wouldn't say that, Chuck. Mr. Cassidy. Oh, What's been going on? I heard a shot on the way over. They plugged the boss. Plugged him bad. What about it, Doc? A bullet on it up her arm. Went into his chest. Wound similar to his brother. Can he talk? Stop now, Cassidy. He's unconscious. Hoppy, me and the boys are going after Saxon. I was thinking you might want to join us. Lace wouldn't want you to go after Saxon. Lace ain't going to hold anybody to that now, Hoppy. Not after Saxon gunned him down. Bradshaw's right. We're calling for a showdown. What was Lace doing when he was shot? Standing outside with me, looking up the street toward Emmett's saloon. And it doesn't look as though Saxon's outfit did it. What do you, what do you mean? The doc said the bullet went through Lace's arm and into his chest. What are you getting at, Hoppy? Lace was shot from the side, the right side. Which means the shot couldn't have come from up the street. But it could have come from one of the stores. Maybe even yours, Marty. My store? Yeah, I guess it could. When the Saxons boys must have taken themselves out there. Where were you when Lake was shot? In here? I've been here ever since you left. Why? What, Mrs. Morgan? Nothing. I I just thought Marty left for a few minutes. Oh, no, Mrs. Morgan. This barn is so dark, you just didn't see me over at the other end. Mind if I have a look at the inside of your store, Marty? I'd be glad to have you take a look at it. Come on. What do you expect to find in my store, Cassidy? Well, if the Lane brothers were shot from one of your windows, there might just be a rifle lying around that did the job. I sure would like to get this cleared up. It isn't helping my business. This feud has to be stopped quickly before more people have lead in them. After you, Cassidy. Hey, what is this? Don't try to pull away, Cassidy, or I'll break your arm. And I've got the power to do it. You ought to know that. You ain't going to do so well without your guns, are you, Cassidy? What do you expect the game by this, Bradshaw? Time to get away. Let them pound out there. This place was built to keep people out when I didn't want them in. Right now it's locked up from cellar to roof. You'll never get away, Marty. Won't I? Tie you up with some of this rope. Set this place afire and I'll have all the excitement I need. All I need to cover me. You're a strong man, Marty, but right now you're taking on too much work. You still feel powerful, Marty? For that, I'm going to tear you apart. Hoppy, Hoppy, all right? Yeah. Come on in, boys. Marty Bradshaw's holding open house. Now, back to Hopalong Cassidy. Hello, Cassidy. How's Lace doing, Doc? Oh, he's conscious now. Here. 
I'm looking around again, Hoppy. Thanks to the doc. What's doing? I just talked with Sue Saxon, taking his boys out of town. And it might be that if you got together with him sometime, the pair of you could patch up your argument. <laughs> You've done a great job, Hoppy. Now, there's something I wish I could figure out. What's that, Chuck? Why Marty Bradshaw would want to start a fight. Well, I still don't know how right I am. I've had the feeling that things went wrong with the Lane Ranch. Marty Bradshaw stood to profit by it. Why, sure he did. Marty's been holding a short-term note of ours. That's why he's been so worried about getting that beef to market. Oh, so that was it. Marty figured that by prodding us into a showdown with Saxon, he could mess up everything and make the ranch go broke. Yeah, yeah, but how'd you happen to know it was uh, Marty Bradshaw, Hoppy? Well, California was that note he sent to Stu Saxon, all sealed up fancy-like. You know what it was sealed with? Huh? Uh, I'll be doggone. You don't mean... That's right. Flour and water. And nobody else has had any flour around here for weeks. Marty Bradshaw told us that himself. Stay tuned for The Fred Allen Show, next on Theater of the Mind. The Fred Allen Show was a popular and long-running American old-time radio comedy program that ran for 17 years. Now, the memorable feud between Fred Allen and Jack Benny of the Jell-O program began on a 1936 episode of Town Hall Tonight. For a decade, the two exchanged insults on both men's shows so convincingly that fans of either show might have believed they really had become blood enemies. In fact, the two men were very good friends and admired each other greatly. Benny and Allen often appeared on each other's shows during the feud, both in the uh, acknowledged guest spot and surprise cameos from time to time as well. On one Christmas program, Allen thanked Benny for sending him a Christmas tree and then added that the tree had died. Allen quipped, well, what do you expect when the tree is in Brooklyn and the sap is in Hollywood? <laughs> Benny in his memoir, Sunday Nights at 7, and Allen in his memoir, Treadmill to Oblivion, revealed that both comedians' writing staff often met together to plot the direction of the mock feud. The comedians planned to settle their fictional feud on March the 21st of 1937 during a broadcast of Jack Benny's show from the Hotel Pierre in New York. But the event never transpired, and the trade of insults continued for years. So let's get ready to take a stroll down Allen's Alley along with the rest of the cast and the Fred Allen Show with special guest Frank Sinatra. <laughs> the makers of Tenderleaf Tea and Blue Bonnet Margarine present the Fred Allen Show with Fred's guest Frank Sinatra, Portland Hoffa, Minerva Pires as Mrs. Nussbaum, the Tenderleaf Workshop Players, the DeMarco Sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And to the lady who sent me the anonymous fan letter, my name is Kenny Delmar. <laughs> week, ladies and gentlemen, our victorious naval forces have been coming home on battleships, cruisers, and carriers. Tonight, another flat top has just arrived, and here he is, Fred Allen! Thank 
you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Kenny, I hope you are celebrating the uh, fleet's return. Oh, yes, Fred. Well, New York has gone all out to welcome the Navy. Oh, I know. Last night, they had 80 men rocking the Astor Hotel to make the sailors feel at home who were sleeping. <laughs> and in that picture at Music Hall, you know, weekend at the Waldorf, they took out Walter Pigeon and put in a seagull just for the Navy. <laughs> Wish some of the Navy had come in to laugh at these jokes, you know. <laughs> Well, uh, Steve, wasn't Jack Benny in the Navy, Fred? Jack Benny in the Navy? Oh, that was before water was even invented. <laughs> they had the H, but they were waiting for the two O's to come out of the Ark in those days. <laughs> you know that Benny is the only sailor I know who can get seasick looking at a bundle of wet wash? <laughs> Benny was in the only naval engagement of the Civil War. Oh, you mean the Monitor and the Merrimack? Benny was on the Monitor. When the lookout yelled, Ahoy! The Merrimack's astern! Then he said, have them sing something. <laughs> you think it would have worked better with four chicks and a chuck? If it... <laughs> you know, if Benny... If Benny was a... If Benny was a sailor... Mr. Uh... Allen! Mr. Allen! Well, Portland... <laughs> you're just in time, Portland. Kenny and I were discussing the arrival of the Navy. Oh, everybody's celebrating. Oh, I know that. And Yes, Admiral Halsey is braver than I thought. Do you know why Admiral Halsey came on at the end of Bob's program? Well, why did Admiral Halsey come on at the end of the Bob Hope program? He's a rear admiral. <laughs> All right, it's, it's your joke. You enjoy it. <laughs> Tell me, is your, is your mother going to participate in the Navy Day festivities? Mama's going to be in the parade of ships. Oh, she's going as Hesperus to Hesperus, is she? No. Mama's going to wear her new corset. Her new corset, huh? Mama's going as old Ironside. Oh. <laughs> Say, I hope she doesn't carry the impersonation too far. How? Well, if your mother thinks she's old Ironside, she may try to back into some dry dock and get scraped for barnacle. <laughs> and speaking of barnacles, I wonder if everything is ship-shaped down in Allen's Alley. Have you a question for them tonight? Oh, you bet. You know, since gasoline rationing has ended, traffic congestion in the larger cities has become one of the nation's greatest problems. And so our question is, how is the traffic dilemma affecting you? Shall we go? As the two sticks said when they saw the tom-tom, let's beat it. <laughs> It's so good to be back in Allen's Alley again, Portland. I wonder if the senator is in tonight. Let's see. Somebody, I say, somebody thumped on my door. Yes, Senator. I represent the solid town. Well, I know. I loaned Mason and Dixon the chalk the day they drew the line. <laughs> well, I, uh... Speak up, son, out with it. Speak up. Up, that is. Well, look... <laughs> You'll never get anywhere staying silent. Well, if you don't just... try to be another Coolidge, son. <laughs> Look, Senator, tell me, how are traffic conditions in Washington? We're investigating. Congressman Coffee is boiling. Well, <laughs> well... Coffee's boiling. That's a joke, son. I... <laughs> Pay attention, son. Be on your toes. Well, I'm doing that. Yeah, you keep missing them, son. Well, I... <laughs> Senator, look. 
The streets are filled with cars. What is the solution of the nation's traffic problem? One, I say, one-way traffic. One-way traffic. Yeah, eh? Monday's all traffic moves only to the east. Yes. Tuesday's all traffic moves only to the west. Yes. Wednesday's east, Thursday's west. Uh-uh. Now, wait a minute, Senator. What about the north and south? Son, that was settled by the Civil War. <laughs> oh. Yeah, well, so long. So long. <laughs> I heard you through the keyhole, Senator. (laughs) The Senator dropped a picture of Jefferson Davis. Oh, well, I'll give it to him next Sunday. Now, let's see what happens here at this next door. Howdy, bub. Well, Well, Mr. Moody, you, uh, you look a little tired tonight. Yeah, I've been on the go all day. Busy, huh? Yeah, I'm working for a tree surgeon. Tree surgeon? I go around leaving Kleenex under Weeping Willard. <laughs> Not so messy a feel that way, is it? Well, tell me, Mr. Moody, how do you account for this traffic problem? So many automobiles. It's progress, Bob. Progress? Yeah. Hoover said he'd put a car in every garage. Yes. Truman's got two cars parked in front of every house. What do you think is causing the parking trouble, uh, Mr. Moody? Oh, it's the housing shortage. The housing shortage, huh? Yeah. Folks is living in garages and putting their cars out on the street. Well, how are we going to cope with this traffic problem, Mr. Moody? I'm a pedestrian. And your solution is? Every motorist should drop dead. Come on, Bob. Mr. Moody ought to get in touch with the mayor or Campbell to sell. Now, let's try this next door. No. Ah, Mrs. Nussbaum. You are expecting maybe Commissar Musselthorpe? <laughs> Tell me, Mrs. N., are you concerned with the traffic problem? Indubitably. <laughs> You'll pardon the expression. Oh, naturally. <laughs> well, how, how are you concerned? Well, I'm inviting all my relatives for a big fish dinner. I see. I'm calling downtown the Fulton Fish Market. Uh-huh. Mr. Fulton is driving uptown with 20 sturgeon. Oh, the whole dinner is nothing but sturgeon, huh? Well, the sturgeon I'm cooking all different kinds style. Oh, good, good. <laughs> sturgeon a la king. Yes. Sturgeon cacciatore. Oh, <laughs> Sturgeon Fu Young. Oriental. Sturgeon Burgers. Sturgeon Burgers. Uh, uh, you, uh, you have, with the dinner, you have dessert? For dessert, I'm, stir- I'm serving Sturgeon a la mode. Stur- sturgeon went upstream in the sentence there. Sturgeon, you're serving Sturgeon a la mode? This is a baked Sturgeon. And Pax is a cold Sturgeon. A la mode. Well, with this traffic congestion, Mr. Fulton can't drive up to the Bronx, can he? It is impossible. Well, how does he get your fish uptown? Every Friday, Mr. Fulton downtown is throwing 20 sturgeon in the Hudson River. Well, how do the 20 sturgeon find their way up to the Bronx? Ah, Mr. Fulton is throwing in a herring and yelling, Boys, follow him. (laughs) Well, that brings us to the last house in the alley. Hello. Hello, we're here to say hello.
just a minute, just a minute, boys. Before you get into your theme song, tell me, have you written any new songs for us this week? Have you heard? I put a blank check in my pajamas at night in case I have to buy that dream. <laughs> no. Have, have you heard? My Irene's the village queen, but she's always taking Benzedrine. <laughs> no. We also wrote a blue song. Blue song? What is it called? I got the walking up Fifth Avenue, crossing 59th Street, stepping over the gutter on my way up Tom Blues. Now look, boys, look. <laughs> look, tonight we, we happen to be mulling over the traffic problem. We got just a song you want. Traffic song? How does it go? Yes, yeah. <laughs> if you're a motorist in New York, you can drive your car a block. In the traffic you get jammed. And your ear and you get rammed. Don't just sit there at the wheel, looking like a big schlemiel. Take a tip from me, use the BMP, and sell your old mobile. And now, if you'll step into the junior missus department, we'll meet the five DeMarco sisters. With Maestro Al Goodman at the baton, the DeMarco sing, the Atchison, Topeka, and the you-know-what. Do you hear that whistle down the line? Bigger than a engine on my party night. She's the only one that's found that way. On the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe. Atchison, see the old smoke rising round the bend. has just played I Wish from the song I Wish I Knew. <laughs> Mr. Goodman's band numbers have something in common with his horses. They never finish either. And now, uh, say, Portland, will you put down the red herringbone carpet for our guest? Who's coming tonight? Well, we have a great surprise tonight, Portland. Last week, as you possibly read in the papers, a New York policeman made his first appearance as an opera star at the Civic Center. 
he was a great success. Now, tonight, we have another unknown singing sensation. John Charles Muckinfuss. <laughs> Oh, yes, for many years. John Charles Muckenfuss is known as the singing street cleaner. Well, where did you find him? Well, I was going down to see that new picture, Guest Wife, at the Criterion. Claudette Colbert is in it, and Don Amici is also in the picture, and he doesn't invent anything. And I thought it might be a novelty to go in and see the picture. And as I arrived at the front of the theater, from behind a large can, I heard a beautiful voice. It was John Charles... Mr. Muckenfuss now. Get ready. You take his broom and helmet, Portland. Okay. Come in. Uh, friends, uh, is this the Tenderleaf Pete program? Yes. Oh, it is? Oh, that's Peachy. Oh, then you must be Fred Allen. Yes, that's yeah. true. Well, if you're Fred Allen, you're just the man I want to see. And, well, well, I don't exactly uh, want to see you either because you're not very pretty to look now, at. Now, wait a minute. Just wait a minute. Wait a minute, bud. Who are you? Well, I, I am Ursula Twing. Uh, yes, Ursula Twing. And I am a lawyer. You're a lawyer? Yes. Uh, do you want to feel my briefcase? Well, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I'll take your word but for I, it. I am, I am a lawyer, all right. And my last case uh, was dealt versus the Acme Poultry Market. The Acme Poultry? Uh, no, it was. Yes, it was. The yes. Acme, yes, all right. Yes, it was, yes. And my client, Mrs. Delt, was buying a live chicken, and after the chicken had been weighed, it laid an egg. So what? Well, uh, the poultry market claimed the egg, and so I, I sued, and the court ruled caveat emptor, and so the egg was put back in the chicken. The egg was put back. Well, all right, so the egg is back in the chicken. What has all this got to do with me? Uh, well, you're, you're in grave trouble, Mr. A. Allen. Yeah, not exactly grave, either, because I don't think it'll send you that far. No. But, uh, no, but my client is, is suing. Your client? Yes, Charlie McCarthy. Uh, tonight, uh, you appeared on Edgar Bergen's program. Under protest, yes, that's and I didn't. True. And you said... This makes no sense, then, no, now, does it? No, it said... And, and you said uh, too much, and you said some very nasty things about Charlie, and you've just driven that little boy into a tizzy. Oh, I have, huh? And, yes, and, and you're a very bad boy. Now, look here, Twing. You and Charlie McCarthy don't scare me. I'll fight this thing through to the Supreme Court. And if that doesn't work, I'll go right over Frankfurter's head straight to Mr. District Attorney. Well, you can, as far as I'm concerned, you can go to, uh, straight to uh, now, uh, any, uh, no, anywhere you want. But I was here to, ser- to serve you with a, a subpoena. Uh, <laughs> a subpoena. And uh, if you, you had better, uh, you, you are ordered to appear in, in court next Sunday, and you had better be there too, Sparty. If you had anything left over from the other program, put it in here, you know. We can hold it. I'm supposed to appear in court, and what happens if I don't show up? Well, if you don't show up, uh, you know what happened to Pierre Laval? Boom, boom. Viva la Charlie McCarthy. <laughs> Mr. Well, Ballard. look at this summons here. It says trial will be held on this program next Sunday. Why that little wooden runt? I ought to pull his legs off and make lollipop sticks out of him. I ought to go back over there again. This must be John Charles Muckenfuss, the singing street Say, cleaner. Say, it probably is. Come in. Well, who are you, son? I'm Frank Sinatra. I'm sorry I haven't time to talk now, son. I'm expecting John Charles Muckenfuss, the singing street cleaner. Well, Mr. Muckenfuss sent me over. See, he can't make it. He got an emergency call. A street cleaner getting an emergency call? On 10th Avenue. It was a rush job. (laughs) Yeah. Here we are on the air, and our guest star is over on 10th Avenue performing a broomectomy. (laughs) 
Well, Mr. Allen, Mr. Muckenfuss said maybe I could take his place. Well, I'm sorry, son. You know, this isn't one of those quiz programs where any schnook can come in off the street <laughs> and take over the microphone. We only use stars. Yes, sir. It's uh, nothing personal, you understand? Oh, I understand, sir. We can only use people with talent. I have talent. Really? Yeah. Who said so? My mother. Oh. <laughs> well, tell me, would you, uh, would you step just a little closer to the microphone, son, if you will? I'm sorry, is this all right? Uh, just a little farther back, if you will, please. See, I don't seem to get the hang of it. No, it's a little difficult. Have you been on the radio before, son? Well, yes, I've been on once or twice. Oh, really? What did you say your name was again? Sinatra. 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 You're not related to Sam Sinatra. <laughs> no. I used to know a Sam Sinatra up in New Rochelle. He was a glass blower in an optician's up there. <laughs> If people came in with dirty glasses and couldn't see to get out of the store, Sam would blow on the glasses. No, I don't know Sam. No, I, I don't know him. I'm Frank Sinatra. You're Frank Sinatra. And you say you're in radio? Yes, I'm on for old gold cigarettes. Oh, are you the guy who squeezes the honey out of the apple on his no, you see, I do the same. Frank Sinatra. Hey, you weren't formerly with the Yacht Club, boy. <laughs> I see a, a little brine on your lapel there. No, uh, I had sour pickles for lunch. Oh, did you? <laughs> you shouldn't eat pickles with those short arms, son. <laughs> the dill drips on you. See, I have the same trouble with sodas, you know. I have a short neck and I can't reach the straws. Oh, really? You well, how do you drink a soda? I pour it out, pour the soda out on the counter and lap it up. Oh, <laughs> I lost that up. I... <laughs> I have short teeth. Every time I bite a hot dog, all I get is a mouthful of mustard. I... You know, once I knew a guy with a... Once I knew a guy with a short nose, he couldn't smell anything unless he put his face in it. Oh, really? Well, this is all mighty, mighty interesting, Mr. Sinatra. Oh, Sinatra. Gosh, it's going to, it's going to disappoint millions of music lovers. John Charles Muckenfuss, the singing street cleaner, not here. I wonder how long he'll be over there on 10th Avenue. Uh, he said it looked like a long session. Long session, eh? The cowboys from Rodeo are parading. Muckenfuss... <laughs> Muck and Fuss may be tied up all night. Uh-huh. Yeah, and right here in the program, we're supposed to have a song. <clears throat> I can sing a number, Mr. Allen. Well, all right, son. We're stuck. You've got me over a barrel. What do you want to sing? Uh, how about it might as well be spring? All right, but uh, don't drag it out, son. I'll try my best. <laughs> Restless as a willow in a windstorm. I'm as jumpy as a puppet on a string. I'd say that I had spring fever, but I know it isn't spring. I am starry-eyed and vaguely discontented. Like a nightingale without a song to sing Why should I have spring fever When it isn't even spring 
I keep wishing I were somewhere else Walking down a strange new street Hearing words that I have never heard From a girl I've yet to meet I'm as busy as a spider spinning daydreams I'm as giddy as a baby on a swing I haven't seen a crocus or a rosebud Or a robin on the wing But I feel so gay in a melancholy way That it might as well be spring It might as well be spring. What a boy! Frankie, I didn't even recognize you before. Why didn't you tell me? Gosh, how time flies to think that I started you on your career. Yeah, remember when I came to you for advice? Oh, you wanted to know whether you should take up singing or open a haberdasher store in Kansas City. Yeah, and you told me to stick to singing. Ah, who knows? If you had opened that haberdasher store in Kansas City, today you might be president. Oh, I couldn't be president, Fred. I can't play the piano. Oh, that's it. Well, tell me, Frank, (laughs) that singing you just did, is that the type of thing you're doing on the radio? Yes. Don't you think my style has possibilities, Fred? Yes, Frank, but you have to think of the future. You know you're not getting any younger, son. Mm -hmm. New boys are coming along. Perry Como, Dick Hames, Carmen Lombardo, Frank Munn, and the (laughs) others. I think I see what you mean, Fred, that... Where will I be 50 years from now? That's probably what your insurance company would like to know. But if we're going to stay in radio, Frank, there's only one kind of a program we can do when we're old men. Fred, you mean... Hillbilly. Mm -hmm. Frank, hillbilly singers don't ripen until they're 80. I know I've been in warm studios with... (laughs) But Fred... Gee whiz, Sinatra Hillbilly, after all. Ah, don't worry, Frank. I can fix everything. I know the king of the hillbillies, Zeke Manor. Ah, I can see it all, Frankie. Fifty years from now, 1995. We're broadcasting from a little two-watch station in Nutley, New Jersey. You and I are standing there in our bare feet, our, uh, floppy hats. Zeke Manor steps to the microphone and says, Howdy, folks! Zeke Manor's and his happy hillbillies are on the air! Let her rip! Howdy, howdy, friends and neighbors! This is Zeke Manor's and the whole gang. The Hoosier Cold Shark, the Poor Sick Choir, Uncle Zeb, Louie Bell, the Hokey Mountain Boys, and those healthily twins, Happy Sinatra and Uncle Hezzy Allen! First, I want you to meet Lily Bell. Yahoo! Howdy, folks. These shoes are the killing me. And here's the Coon Creek Choir. Howdy, y'all! And here they be, 
them scarecrows fresh from the cornfields, Happy Sinatra and Uncle Hezzy Allen. Howdy, Pappy. Well, howdy, Uncle Hezzy. Tell me, Pappy, how many hairs onto a pig's face? Next time we shave, count them. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Terry, what has four legs and flies? A dead whore. No, no, our table at dinner time. Well, <laughs> well folks, <laughs> now that we've laughed ourselves sick... <laughs> Happy Sinatra and Uncle Hezzy Allen sing Open Up Them Pearly Gates Listen here all you sinners If you want to get to heaven, heaven Better get down on your knees and pray All you gambling skinners Better quit saying 7-Eleven Get yourself prepared for judgment day Open up them pearly gates Open up them pearly gates Open up them pearly gates for me Remember the letters F-N-E for flavor, nutrition, economy. Blue Bonnet Margarine gives all three flavor, nutrition, economy. Think of it, not just one, not just two. Blue Bonnet Margarine gives you all three. You get flavor, delicious flavor, so fresh, delicate, and country sweet that it makes other foods taste twice as good. You get nutrition, proved nutrition. Delicious Blue Bonnet is a real food, approved by nutrition experts. Rich in food energy and in vitamin A, too. And there's economy in using Blue Bonnet. It costs so little you can afford to spread it's a product of the makers of Fleischmann's yeast. That fact alone tells you it's quality through and through. Remember, Blue Bonnet is the margarine that gives all three flavor, nutrition, economy. Ask for it tomorrow. Thank you, Kenny. This is Fred Allen saying good night, ladies and gentlemen. Our guest next week will be Edgar Bergen and the biggest court this trial. This is the National here. Broadcasting. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Baby Snook Show, followed by The Saint. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.